Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Visit the Northeast of Scotland podcast with me, your host, Jacqueline Van Lenacker. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Fiona Jane Brown about local heritage in Aberdeenshire. Fiona Jane shares with us how she developed her love of history and stories from an early age. In fact, there is so much we want to share, we have enough for two episodes. In this first episode, Fiona Jane will tell us a few stories about the people of the land and the people of the coast. She will also describe a few traditions which are still part of people's lives today. In the next episode, we will learn more about the language of the region, and Fiona Jane tells us about some influential and successful people who came from Aberdeen. Fiona Jane also talks more about her tours, and that her guests tend to be a bit bloodthirsty. Today we're speaking about uh, culture and customs, listening to the seagulls in the background in a sunny afternoon in Peterhead. Um, We would like to start the conversation with getting a brief introduction of yourself, if you could give us an overview. Yeah, eh, I'm Fiona Jane Brown, eh, originally from Peterhead, in Peterhead at the moment because of the lockdown. Um, Spent most of my working life in Aberdeen, did university been both universities and the college in Aberdeen for my education and in 2011 I started my tourism business Hidden Aberdeen Tours. Before that I worked as a a college instructor and did various heritage jobs before that. Uh, The most recent one before I started the business was down in Portsmouth in the south of England. But again that was 10 years ago in the last recession and because the funding didn't uh, remain in place for the job to continue, so I was back up the road, and that was one of the one of the kickstarts for working for myself, really. Because having worked for a few different councils, and it was like every time there's a crisis, it's last in, first out. So it was mm-hmm. a case of okay, I'm going to work for myself. So that's what I've been doing for the last nine years with sort of other big projects on the way. How did you become interested in history? You focus a lot on your history and culture here in the Northeast. Has that always been a passion for you? Well, I was thinking about it last night. And yes, really from primary school onwards. I mean, I was at primary school in the early 80s and our teachers didn't have the strictures of the current curriculum. And we got very local Scottish history and local poetry and that. So I suppose I've always loved Scottish history. So when I went to university and did my undergrad, it was joint English Lit and History, I did all the Scottish courses because the university got the modular system. Even my history teacher, higher history teacher, couldn't believe that I'd be able to do all of these to specialise right away in Scottish courses. So I ended up doing them and having done Gaelic language as a minor subject, I was able to pick up Celtic history. So I ended up being able to cover the entire period from about the 6th century right through to the industrial age, the 1830s. But my real interest was medieval history, the Wars of Independence and Jacobites. And then really it's because, I suppose, of training to be a librarian that I then got the knowledge of how to find sources and then started really realising what everyone else had been saying about local history and obviously then developing the more mature academic view of history where not like primary school where it's all very black and white you start getting into the politics and nuance of it and really by the time I got to 
master's level, which I'd actually been left university 10 years and working, I went back to, in 2004 to do a master's in folklore and ethnology. And of course, that then opened up. Aside, I, I kind of not realised that that was a subject, that all this, my interest in stories and folk tales, oh, this is ethnology, right. And so started my real understanding of the difference between sort of the oral culture that has been part of Scotland since forever uh, and the written history. Mm. And it's often that a sort of border between the two that it makes the most interesting mm. stories. So that's really what did it. There was there from the beginning. So stories, it's always been stories with me. I like a good mm. story. How would you describe the people of Aberdeenshire? What culturally influences them? What personalities and character traits do they have? Ah, well, it's interesting because really up here, and we're talking, you use the word Grampian, but Grampian was the, the region that was invented in 1975. But before that, the Aberdeenshire was a lot smaller because then you had Banffshire and you had Kincardenshire and people don't even realise Bankery Heritage are well aware of it but other folk don't realise Bankery was in Kincardine, so was Torrey these were all separate places and it means that these smaller original counties, they retained their own identity and then you've got the fact you've got the coast and the land so you've mm-hmm. got a split in identity there but basically you can characterise us certainly over the last hundred years as hard working and that work ethic was put into people when they were at school and of course pre the Education Act of 1872 that was the church so you've got a Presbyterian work ethic drummed into you before you leave school and it also meant that people were very aware of the world like the unseen world as well as the natural world and were aware of things that we might dismiss today like ghosts, like fairies, that sort of thing and signs in the weather, the fisher folk were well aware of how certain, even the way their equipment behaved Mm -hmm. they would be able to tell, oh, uh, the weather's going to change so again, you've got the hard-working trait and the fearless trait and also the humorous trait and our humour is this sort of doer, couthy humour that is born of hard work. And it's like that's how people cope with hard work. Mm-hmm. They laugh at it. Yeah. And, and the horrors of, sort of life at sea. Life at sea is pretty dangerous. It's far less dangerous being a farmer. But again, that attitude from the sort of pre-mechanised period is still there mm-hmm. because it came through in our music and our songs and whatever so it is, it, to me it is this smiling in the face of adversity, I think that would be the main trait of the mm-hmm. northeast character The roots are very deep here in the northeast, and, and people are very, as you say, tied to the land and tied to the sea mm-hmm. How has the geography of Aberdeenshire, you mentioned there we have a large coastline and we are very agricultural here as well. We're not too far from Aberdeen, which is probably our closest official city. Mm-hmm. What are some of the differences between those who are working the land, those who are working the sea, and those who are living in the city? Well, I mean, historically, the country and the uh, 
the coast. It was a case of never the twain shall meet. But that wasn't true, really, because although the fisher folk, and, and speaking from retired fishermen that I've spoken to, some of them despised the country folk. Interestingly enough, because the fisher folk tended to be a quite devout churchgoers, Christians, and they looked on the agricultural community as being heathen and uh, singing body songs and using bad language and sort of getting children, uh, girls pregnant out of wedlock and all that, um, which is highly ironic. I mean, there have been truth on both sides. But... Um, well, yeah. because they had the chance. They were yeah. home and the yeah. fishermen were away at sea. Yeah. But and there is this... There's a difference in the language as well. But then both of them, both of sort of the land and the coast areas... I mean, what I thought was funny, when I went to Aberdeen to go to university, um, somebody said to me, oh, you're for the country. I was like, no, I'm not from the country. I'm from the coast. Anything outside of Aberdeen is the country. You're a, a sort of a chucht or a bumpkin if you're from outside. So, again, we look on the Toonsers as being the ones that are sort of a bit arrogant, maybe a bit um, parochial, and that they look down on us. So it's the sort of thing. That, again, it's a historical thing, but there's still elements of it that you can see. Are there any local customs that are going on today that have their origins in history? that are maybe unique to this region? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly the most unique is actually one of the most recent, and that's uh, the temperance walks of my grandparents' villages. And this dates back to about the 1840s, maybe the start of Victoria's reign, when there was a sort of explosion of alcoholism, I suppose, more so amongst whaling seafarers than fishermen. But... It just meant that, certainly for the English trawlermen, they were just slaves to drink. It was a, as bad an addiction as sort of cocaine has been today for certain communities. The families were suffering, the women weren't getting the wages from the men, so particularly in the villages, there were, again, people could get a, a spirit dealer's licence and set up in their house, that's how it worked. There were there were hotels in Fraserburgh and whatever, but again, these villages they had this scourge. The wives got together with the older men, and sort of they would have probably the churchmen of the villages as well, and went to protest uh, at the licensing of these places. Uh, because I mean, it's the same as today, a, a publican has a personal license, mm -hmm. so it's not just the premises. So they went to protest at the beginning and they had a march and got a few musicians with them playing flutes and banging drums to make a noise. And they were actually attacked <laughs> they, on their way through the villages by, I don't know if it was other locals or people for the country, I think they blame the, <laughs> the farm folk for attacking them. But they made it to Fraserburgh and made their protest and because there were flutes played, and we're talking little wooden fifes, like they have uh, sort of the military fife idea. And thereafter, because there was the religious aspect, and they did a lot of support for the Salvation Army, which had started setting up. I mean, the Salvation Army were in this area before the Citadel was built in Aberdeen, because they had an awful 
difficulty establishing themselves as well. But for those that were Christians and saw the benefit of what this organisation was trying to do, they took their support, people signed the pledge and whatever. But the folk realised when the, the following year they decided to march on the same date, and this was winter time because that's about Christmas time, it's usually New Year that the fisher folk are home. Uh, so they went and this time they played religious tunes, they played hymn tunes, and that's how it started. So the three villages of Cairnbog, Inveralhi and St Combs, they have got three different separate bands, but the idea was to encourage the young fishermen to learn the flutes, especially the, even the younger children would play the drum, because you've got a, a, a little tenor drum and a big, huge bass drum, and that's the thing. And that is, it's such a unique thing, and quite a few papers have come out of Elphinstone Institute because of it, because our former director... Uh, Ian Russell, he has been following it ever since. He was charmed with it when he first saw it. And they will, on its Christmas Day, New Year's Day and the 2nd of January, those are the dates of the three village walks. And they start from, well, Cairnbogan and Varalhi start from the school, um, which is right next to the parish church. And the little, or the, the Harley, as they call it in St Combs, the wee independent church, they start from there and they walk round the bounds of the village and then one well because they're on different days they then used to walk over the old railway line to the other villages and they still do that but they use i remember once it was such a nice day that they walked over the golf course which is what replaced the line at that bit and then they usually jump on the coaches now and drive over do their walk round and there are specific tunes that are associated with particular bands as well. Um, and my grandfather was in the band. I actually have his flute. He played the drum at one time as well during the war. But the thing was, which he really emphasised, being a teetotaler all his life, he'd been brought up, his father teetotal as well, that you could not be in the band if you consumed alcohol. That was the case up till about the 60s and then they were less strict but mm. they were super strict long ago and my grandfather had stories of boys being so upset when they had been caught out maybe if they'd been at an English port like Whitby or Grimsby and had been spotted in the pub by somebody from the temperance committee and saying you're not playing this year and they would be in floods of tears and mm. embarrassment that they'd missed out so eventually I think only one of them keeps that rule, but they don't really. But it's it's the the point of the thing in that it was a community protest that then turned into a celebration of sobriety, if you like. Mm -hmm. And the tunes saying there's um, the Rowan Tree, the Rowan Tree tune is used to a lot of hymns as well. And then there's a one that the Cairnbulg band used to play coming into St Combs, which is called Hold the Fort. And that's a hymn tune as well. And it kinda, that was kind of like a joke. So I said, oh, we're coming to attack you, whatever. <laughs> um, and it is something that carries on because since that time, there you can trace an unbroken line of them. And they walk in all weathers, in snow, in rain, and whatever. And the 
leaders of the different bands. They also work as a as a group band as mm-hmm. well. They go out and play at events and galas during the year. They're called the Inversant Cairn Band when they work together. But in uh, St Combs Primary School and Varalhi School, the children get taught the flute. And it's all by memory. Mm-hmm. They're learning it by memory. And, I mean, I've always uh, read music. I find it very hard to memorise, so I think they're extremely talented. But they pick it up and... On the days, uh, they will go out and it's not just the band. Everybody from the community starts following them. And of course, there's a little ritual to that as well in that the families stay at the very back. But normally, everybody had a walk partner. My mum will tell you that it might be a friend at school, it might be a cousin or whatever, and you would go with them to the walk Mm -hmm. in your best clothes that you'd had for Christmas or whatever. And... That's how it works. And also, uh, they used to have a concert like before um, called uh, Soiree. And they would give selection boxes out to the children. Now, in St. Combs, sometimes the committee sometimes gives out the boxes there. <laughs> and it's, it's, I've seen them doing that. So it is something that is entirely unique. And when you say a, a flute band walk, think, oh, like Orange Marches. No, this is nothing like Orange Marches. Rose Harty, the Masonic a club there, had a, a band march. And it was a band with pipes, but there's nothing like the flute band walk mm-hmm. at all. or never been anywhere. Uh, and I was thinking about the burning of the clavy. That is something that's really Murrayshire, but it had an influence on here and it it is a very old tradition and that's more about appealing to good forces to protect you from evil and that you burn a flammable material in a barrel and carry it round on a pole and when I was doing my PhD research the lot of fishermen would do that on their boats not just at New Year because it's Burghead New Year, and it's the old New Year by the Julian calendar, 11th of January, that they do it on. Fishermen told me, and even one of them was my dad's cousin, he said, oh, I mind that when I was a, as a youngster on the boat. And they would, again, put oily rags and whatever in a bucket, sort of set light to them, if the fishing was going bad. And then they'd run round the boat making sure the smoke went into all the corners. And this is supposed to be getting rid of the demons or witches that mm-hmm. were causing the bad luck. And not everybody called it Clavy. I was surprised the name appeared in Peter Head because they did a version of it in Shetland. They did a version of it in the Western Isles and all the slightly different names. But it seems to be something that's very Fisher. Although probably not unique, as I say, it's something that's common to... Scottish fisher folk. I haven't heard any English folk doing it. They had slightly different rituals. But there are two examples. One that's Victorian, one that's ancient, ancient. And yet they're both about dealing with bad external forces that can cause a community trouble. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there we are. We will continue our conversation with Fiona Jane Brown in the next episode In the meantime, we finish today's session with a song called Come All Ye Fisher Lassies, performed by the Fisher family on their 1966 album Traditional and New Songs from Scotland.
Come all ye fish and lassies, aids, come all we be. Fair and Bulgan Gambri and Fay and Baralachi. Fay Bucky and Fay Bardeen and all the country run. We're a watty, got the heron, we're a watty, and with tune. Oh, ye rise up in the morning, we're bundles in your hand. Be at the station early, or you'll surely hate to stand. Track plenty to eat. And a kettle for your tea, or you'll maybe die of hunger on the way to Yarmouth Quay. Now the journey it's a langin, it takes a day or two, and when you reach your lodging, sure it's soon to sleep you'll fall. But you rise at five, where you sleep still in your ear, you're a what you find a gotten yards along the Yarmouth Quay. Now there's coopers there and curers there, buyers can eat chills. There's lassies at the pickle and and others at the creels. And you wish the fish had been all left in the sea by the time you finish cutting heron on the Yarmouth Key. Well, it's early in the morning, it's late into the night. Your hands are cut and sharp, they look an unca And you greet like a wind when you pet them in the breeze, and you wish you were a thousand miles away from Yarmouth Key. Now I've got it fishing Larry Kay and stone away in shields. I've worked along the Humber amongst the barrels and the creels. What big rims be I've travelled up and down, but the place to see the heron is the key at Yarmouth Tune.